How many of you have your Bible tonight? While you're gathering up your Bible, let me say to you again what we're, we're, we're preparing for in July. Uh, next Wednesday is July 4th, and we will not have a Wednesday night service, but we will have a Wednesday morning Liberty Prayer Breakfast. We changed the time, Aaron and I got to talking about it. We changed the time from 8 a.m. to 6 a.m. So Mestia can have our whole day. So it starts at 6 next Wednesday morning. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> it starts at 8. Liberty Prayer Breakfast, 8 to 9.30. We're going to come together. We've got children's activities, and they'll, they'll, they'll not just be here sleeping on the uh, chairs. They're going to have things to do. We're going to come together, worship a little. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss to have a breakfast together, pray over our nation. It's going to be a great morning. So I want to encourage you to plug in, get involved, bring your family, bring your friends. Uh, people come to, uh, to uh, political things and to uh, things like this that are, uh, what is it, patriotic things. That's the better word, not political, but patriotic things. And so I want to encourage you to be a part Bring your family. Say, we're going to have a prayer for our nation. Everybody needs, knows we need to pray for our nation. So, amen. So that's this, that's this coming Wednesday. But then the following Wednesday, as you've seen out in the foyer, we're beginning our, our growth groups, uh, which we're excited about. Three growth groups. Aaron and Mestia are going to be leading a group about uh, everything is possible with God. Uh, uh, Kobe Foreman's going to be leading a group uh, it's uh, evident, um, something about ap ap apologetics, about validating the word of God is true. Uh, I forget the title. Uh, pardon me, but I know the content. And then thirdly, Trent and Angela, where there's, there's, there's the married couple. There's part of the married couple. Uh, they're back. Give them a hand, Trent and Angela. See, everything's Trent and Angela now, not just Trent. Trent and Angela, or Angela and Trent. Uh, they're doing one at leading a group uh, on the, the, Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit. And so pretty exciting things. And so we're not only doing this for your information and inspiration, but we're doing it to build the people of God and encourage more people to be plugged in on Wednesday night and build relationships and connect with one another. So, so that's July 11th. So get that in your little brain. And so what we'll do beginning July 11th, we'll come together, have a prayer time together like we normally do and dismiss to small groups. It's going to be good. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Amen. So those are the things that are, that are upon us. Also, Vacation Bible School. If you hadn't signed up to help Lauren Josh in Vacation Bible School that's coming up, she would appreciate your involvement and your, your, your help. And I know the kids really will. They had a great time at camp, had 30-something kids go to camp, and they came back full of the Holy Spirit and with sugar ants in my car. So I had to, I had to fog the car uh, because there's ants everywhere up there. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting. So great things going on this summer, great things going on in July. And so plug in and get involved. Uh, and everybody said amen. Turn in your Bible one more time to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to officially conclude this summer series that I began, I can't even remember, it's, it's six, eight weeks ago, probably uh, we've had a few special things in the middle of this series uh, that uh, has kind of elongated it in our minds, but uh, we've been talking about who are you? Look at your neighbor and say, who are you? Who are you anyway? 
really we ask ourselves that question because God has an identity for us. He has, a, he, has a, he has created us for his kingdom purpose. And we, for the past couple of months, have been endeavoring to discover our true identity in Christ. Everyone say, in Christ. And that's the crux of everything we've been talking about on pardon me, Sunday and Wednesday night, what it means to be in Christ. And tonight we're going to really conclude with, I think, some really good, just some biblical perspective of, 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 of this thought of being in Christ. Uh, and we know that 2 Corinthians 5.17 has been our keynote verse. I want you to look at it in your Bible. I want us to read it together again because this, is a, this verse is power-packed with revelation and insight from God that will change your life. Let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, come on, read it out loud. Let's start over. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become they become new. What a great revelation. And so the key verse, the key word there is in. See, it's underlined there. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot tonight. I'm going to give you kind of a little uh, kind of review here for the few moments. But that word in means, everyone say it. Come on, everyone say it. Stay with me. Fixed position. That's the key. You see, our position impacts our condition. We shouldn't let our condition impact our position. That's the problem with a lot of people. They look at their condition and the circumstances around them, and it impacts in a negative way their position in Christ or their lack of position with Christ. And so our condition does not need to impact our position. Our position needs to impact our condition. And that's what this verse is all about because what does it say? If you're in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, the great quandary, anybody ever been in a quandary? Some of you kind of look like you're in one right now. The, a great quandary. Oh, uh, I'm in a quandary. Should I or should I not? Uh, uh, you know, rock, paper, scissors. What do I do? A quandary. The quandary with a lot of God's people is they read this verse and they go, I don't make any sense. I don't know if I believe that because I'm a Christian. And old things aren't passed away in my life, and all things haven't become new in me. And so, what's the deal? Well, the secondary scripture that I've been feeding you uh, that kind of fills in the gap there is this one, because this is self This what if you read the context of this verse, uh, you'll understand. But uh, John 15, 5. It kind of fills in the blanks because Jesus uses this phrase in Christ or in him when he says this, I'm the vine, you are the what? All the branches say amen. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in me, there's that in Christ revelation, in a fixed position, that same word in, in a fixed position. And here's the second part, and I in him. You see, just because you are born again doesn't mean you're fixed in him. Are you with me? And here's the little phrase I want you to catch if you don't catch anything else. It is, it is this. If we get fixed, we'll get fixed. Think about it. I'm kind of using a play on words because the word fixed has two, two, two definitions. You know, we'll, we'll talk more about this biblical perspective of fixed in a moment. But if we get in Christ fixed in a right position with him, 
relationally, spiritually, ministerially, in every way. Everything in our life begins to get fixed because old things start passing away and all things become new in our life. And the revelation and the reality that we've got to understand if, hey, if we're battling day, if the old things keep winning in our life, there's a problem with our position. Doesn't mean we're not a Christian. It means we're out of position with him. We're not rightly connected in, in, and really abiding, living in him. Somebody say amen. So say this last line with me, everybody. If we get fixed, we'll get fixed. Look at your neighbor and say, if we get fixed, we'll get fixed. In other words, if you fix yourself in him, it'll begin to fix so many areas of our life. Amen? Now, I know some of y'all are giggling at me because you have a different understanding of getting fixed. Uh, she does? Okay. <laughs> right. Have you been fixed? Sound like a dog. You, know, you dog? No, that's not what we're talking about. Okay. We're not talking about that. We're talking about our position in Christ. And so, I want to talk to you about tonight the big fix. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a word study. So, if you got your, get your Bible, get your... Get your computer Bible out. We're fixing to go through some passages of Scripture. Uh, and I'm just going to, and, and when you look at, because we're going to look in the Old Testament briefly about this word fixed. Because in the, in the King James, it's used quite a bit. has a lot of different, uh, and, and one Hebrew word, we're, gonna, we're only going to look at one, but one Hebrew word in the Old Testament, it's, the, it's K-U-N, I guess you would pronounce it kun or kun, whatever. It, it is translated in a lot of different words. And here they are. These are words in the, in the, in the uh, King James Old Testament, this one Hebrew word that is translated sometimes as fixed. Sometimes it's translated as ready. Sometimes it's translated as established. Same word. Now, you can't, you with me. It's the same word that in different passages of Scripture, it's translated a little differently. It's the same exact word, but the, 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 the Holy Spirit and the translators, uh, they worked together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they came up with different descriptives of this one word. Fixed, ready, established, prepared, firm, certain, uh, stand, stable, set in order, uh, even to fashion and ordain. And they all have this, uh, this, 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 in fact, the one of the best words is established. I like that. And it's used quite a bit in the Old Testament. Uh, but it, it's this fixed position. How many of you know when you're stirring up concrete, before long it's going to get fixed? It's going to get set. It's going to be established. It's not going to stay uh, in, that, in that, you know, semi-liquid state. It's going to get fixed. It's going to become stable. It's going to set in order. It's going to be prepared and firm and, and, and ready. So that's kind of the idea uh, in the Old Testament. And in a little bit, when we look at the New Testament, it's almost the same exact, though it's a Greek word, same exact idea. So we want to, as we look at this word fixed or fix, we're going to learn some lessons about how our lives can be fixed in him. You get it? I'm going to look, in fact, in the New Testament in a moment, I'm going to look at 10 passages of Scripture. And a lot of them, this word is in the middle of a parable that has a different lesson altogether. 
but the use of the word will teach us a lesson about our own life. You get it? That's, that's where we're heading. I want you to get that because if I take off in a minute, you're going, why is he reading all these different the use of this word in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in many different scenarios, many different stories and illustrations, the use will teach us personally a lesson about fixing ourselves in him. You got it? Look at your neighbor and say, I think I got it. That's, the, that's how we're headed tonight. So the Old Testament, there's the different words that it's translated, this one word. But I want to only, only use one, uh, three verses that, have the, that use the word fixed. And then we're going to jump to the New Testament. And they're all in Psalms, and they all have one theme. Look in your Bible to Psalms 57. Psalm 57. I, it's not, I'm not going to plaster the, the verse up there, so you actually got to turn there. Psalm 57, verse 7, uh, I mean, Isaiah, that doesn't quite work, does it? Psalm 57, verse 7, says this. David says, my heart, and now, how many, anybody here have King James? King James uses the word fix. Now, New King James uses a different word. I'm going to substitute the King James word because it, it, it lines up with the word fix. He says, my heart is fixed, O God. He says, my heart is fixed. Now, we can stop right there. How many of you know when the Bible repeats itself, when somebody repeats itself, they're, they're making a point? David's making a, heart, a point. My heart is fixed. Oh, God, my heart is fixed. Now, that's a powerful verse. I, I'm not sure I know too many. I, I do know some. You know, I was listening to Jay Threadgill, uh, uh, you know, Sunday, and I talked with him, you know, a couple of days, had a couple of days together. You know what I believe about Jay Threadgill? His heart is fixed. I mean, this guy has got it going on. He said, my heart is fixed. And so David said, my heart is fixed, O God. <coughs> my heart is, is fixed. New King James uses the word steadfast. And then he says, I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory, and awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. And he just goes on into this great praise and thanksgiving to God. So we see this first Old Testament word, uh, fixed, uh, is used concerning our heart. I'm going to show you another one. Another one. Turn to Psalms. Let's see which one it is. Psalm uh, 108, verse 1. Take a right. Psalm 108, verse 1. Psalm 108, verse 1. Same exact type theme. Oh God, my heart is what? Somebody say fixed. It's like he's repeating himself here. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. I will awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations for your mercy is great above the heavens and your truth reaches to the clouds. Oh, man, this guy, when he gets his heart straight and fixed, established, prepared, uh, uh, stable, set in order, fashioned and ordained uh, in a particular uh, fashion, praise and glory just begins to pour out of his heart because his heart is fixed. Let me show you one more and then I'm going to make a statement. Psalms 112 verse 7, and I'm going to camp out here just a moment, just take a little bit of a right. Psalms 112, in fact, I'm so tempted 
to read this entire passage, but let me just read a couple of verses uh, in front of that. He says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. So this is a psalm that, that talks about someone who fears the Lord and delights greatly in the commandments of God. This guy is, he's, who he's describing here he is all in, if you will. And look what it says down in verse 7. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast or fixed. There's that word, fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established, same word, I believe, fixed. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Now, this is a guy who's made his life and the purpose of his life one to be a blessing and a pleasure to God and man. In fact, uh, this, hey guys, if you want to kind of amend, this really works for anybody, but uh, you know, it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. If you want to read that and, and, and apply these principles in your life, man, he's, he's a blessing. He's victorious. He's prosperous. Oh, just read the whole thing. It's just great. But in the middle of all this, it says something about his heart. His heart is fixed. And so the thing we can kind of stir from that is all these benefits of that he's describing and this victory and this this provision it ha, it it sparks from the inner recesses and it spawns from the inner recesses of his heart and so here it is being fixed in Christ is really an attitude of our heart it's what we've determined on the inside you know our newlyweds are here and so what a great illustration. Less, uh, how long has it been now? A little over a week, 10 days, 10 whole days they've been married. And when they made their vows, you know what those vows were? They were vows that fixed them. And you know what the challenge of their life and all of our lives are as married couples? We keep our heart in it. So we stay fixed. The reason there's such a strong or such a, a big divorce rate is because people's heart is not committed and, and, and connected, if you will. It's really not a heart issue. And when, if we want to be fixed in him, it begins in the heart. You can't, hey, all the good things you do, all the right things you do, trying to obey all the rules, it's of no value until you get it in the heart, Right? How many of you know somebody who doesn't want to buckle up in their car uh, and they were little kids, no, I don't want to know you got to buckle up. It's not in their heart. And obedience to God and, 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 and following after him and, and, and being what this Psalm 112 says, it begins in the heart. So just from the Old Testament, there's so much more we could look at at this word. We could just spend days looking at this one word uh, from in the Old Testament. But all I wanted you to see from the Old Testament for us tonight as we, as we get fixed in him, because if we get fixed we'll be fixed. Amen. If we get fixed in him, it really begins in our heart. And, and that's just, I just, I just want to kind of paint that picture for you and let you, let you 
ponder and think, man, what do I need to do in my heart? Where, where in my heart do I need to, to begin to uh, address issues and attitudes of the heart that, that keep me from being fixed on him? It's an issue of the heart. It's, a hard, it's really a commitment scenario. In fact, oh gosh, when you think of this guy here in Psalm 112, it says his heart is steadfast or fixed, trusting in the Lord. I love that. I'm fixed, trusting in him. Wow. In fact, that reminds me of Proverbs 3. Turn over to Proverbs 3. I love this because this really, this really hits it from the heart aspect. Proverbs 3, probably one of my favorite uh, Proverbs, a uh, uh, few verses here. Uh, verse 1, my son, do not forget my law, but let your what? Heart. Here we go. Let your heart keep my commands. You see, obedience is an attitude of the heart. It really is of our life for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you look what he says let mercy and truth for uh, not forsake you bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart there you go and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man and then verse 5 trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He's talking about a guy who's getting fixed in this thing. I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I'm, I'm writing his word and will on the, on the tablet of my heart. I'm, I'm obeying him from the heart. I'm in it with all my heart. Amen. And so that's what I want you to catch from the Old Testament word fixed. There's so much more. But tonight, let's move to the New Testament. And I want to give you the New Testament word. Interesting enough, it's only used one time in Scripture and translated in the King James from, what, from my quick assessment as, and in the New King James as fixed. This word, sterizo, I can't even pronounce it. It's a Greek word. But let me, let me show you some things about this word. It's translated in the New Testament as fixed, as set, or established, or strengthened, and probably a couple of more different ways that really weren't applicable to us for tonight. So same word in different passages of Scripture, used and translated in different fashion to kind of bring a different type of emphasis for the particular context of that scripture. But again tonight, in fact, I'm going to show you 10 verses, 10 totally different verses that use this one word about being fixed and how those verses, even though the context may be teaching a completely different lesson, the, the application of this word, we can learn an important life lesson that will help us get fixed in him. Because remember, if you get fixed in him, what are you going to do? You're going to get fixed. So here we go. Are you ready? In fact, the definition, if you were given it a definition, uh, the, this word would mean to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. It has the same overall kind of feel as the Old Testament passage to, to set, establish. And, and it's, again, it's translated and used, fixed, set, established, and strengthened. Uh, and so I'm going to give you 10, uh, 
10 passages of scripture, and I, hey, they're, they're, they're going to help fix you. Amen. So are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, do you need any fixing? Do you, is there anything in your life need to fix? Get ready. Because if you get fixed, these things in your life can get, begin to get fixed. The first one that I want to use, even though it's out of chronological order, it's the only pl- place in the, in the Bible where it, in, in, it's translated as fixed. Luke 16, 26. I want you to turn there. Luke 16, 26. It's, it's a, really this, this, this story that Jesus is telling has to do with, with the poor man and, and, uh, and Lazarus. Or the Lazarus was the beggar, and then there was the rich man, and they both died. You remember the story? And they both, and, and guess who went to heaven? Between the poor man and La- uh, the poor man Lazarus and the rich man, which one went to heaven? The poor man. I think he's teaching a story here. I'm not sure if this is an actual, you know, he's, he's Jesus is, this could be a, a, a parable. I'm not real sure, but uh, he's telling a story of both dying. The, the poor beggar went to heaven and the rich man went to hell. And the rich man looks and he is, he is beside himself and he begins to cry out uh, and he says, uh, oh, verse 22, and so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and being in the torments and Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he, may dip the, uh, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Now this is an amazing story. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a gulf a great gulf fixed so that you, uh, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot and those, uh, and nor can those from there pass to us. Basically, the context of this story is so, something totally different than what I'm about to show you. What's he saying? There's a great gulf fixed between heaven and hell. How many of you believe that? Now, He uses this word. It's set. It's established. It's settled. How many of you know eternity, once you get to eternity, it's settled. It's fixed. You can't change it. Now, what's the lesson for us when we think of being fixed in Christ? I pondered this today a little bit. And it's something along this line. The lesson we can take from the use of this little bitty word fixed. It's to this, to the degree or as far as heaven and hell are separated from one another, so must our hearts be separated unto God. Amen. You see, once you get to heaven, it's what? Fixed. And you know what? If before you get to heaven... You get it fixed. A lot of other things will get fixed. And you come to this place of, 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 of absolute, 
uh, what, what was the definition I gave? To set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. When your heart turns resolutely in a certain direction and, it's, and, and you're all in, it becomes fixed. Just as heaven and hell are separated and fixed and, and apart from one another, never to cross and never to intermingle. I, mean, I appreciate that. So our hearts must, that way, that must be the condition of our hearts in order to be fixed in him. What a lesson. Whew, I got past number one. Can you handle nine more? See, it's one simple lesson. Hey, that's how my heart has to be. Just as heaven and hell are a great gulf or fixed between them, my heart has to be separated unto God and committed and connected to him, never to cross and intermingle and pollute itself with the hellish elements of this world. I am fixed. As the psalmist said, my heart is steadfast. It is fixed, oh God. Amen. Look at your neighbor and ask him, did you get it? You get it? Got it. Okay. Scripture number two. Back up to your left to Luke chapter nine. I like this one. It defines Jesus and his uh, resoluteness. Luke chapter nine, verse 51 says this now it came to pass when the time had come for him speaking of Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem he steadfastly set everyone say set there's that word there's that Greek word which is translated fixed in the first verse that I read to you, same Greek word, and it talks about Jesus who's looking when he knew his time uh, to be received up was come. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, how many of you kind of see what Jesus is doing? He's got a purpose and a plan. He's He's got a job to accomplish. And as a result, he's fixed upon the purpose and plan of God for his life. And so here's the little lesson we learned from this passage of Scripture for us to apply in our life. Embrace the vision and purpose of God for your life. Embrace the vision and purpose of God for your life. What was Jesus doing right here? He was, he was, he was absolutely embracing God's purpose and plan for his life. He was not in a quandary about whether to go or not to go. He had set, when he knew his time to be offered up and be received up was come, he set his face, and we could use that definition, resolutely towards the purpose and the destiny of God for his life. Could I tell you today, if you want your heart fixed on him, you can Hey, get get the vision of God for your life and begin to embrace it. Embrace the purpose of God for your life and begin to say, this is the reason I've been created. This is the purpose for which I have been called. I I had the joy of talking to a young man from Church on the Rock, uh, uh, Nederland, who came by. He's a young 20-year-old kid who got saved four or five years ago in youth group, and he has eat up with the vision and the purpose of God for his life. And Pastor Ron is is, uh, mentoring him, and one of the things that Pastor Ron has him doing going around talking to our pastors and he just came and man I said well tell me about man all of a sudden I realized this guy is eat up with the vision and the purpose of God for his life he's 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 set and I talked to him a little bit about maintaining that in his life 
What a great lesson. If you want to get fixed in him, begin to embrace God's purpose and plan for your life. Hey, if we keep dilly-dallying around with me, myself, and I, we will frustrate the grace of God, and we will never get fixed in him. And as a result, according to the last part of John 15, 5, we'll never really be productive for him because it says, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me just tell you what me, myself, and I will get you. Nothing of eternal consequence. I promise you. But if you embrace the purpose of God and you set your face like Jesus did to fulfill God's purpose and plan for your life, you'll begin to realize there's some things in me that are getting fixed because I am fixed on his purpose and plan for my life. You know, this is going better than I thought it would. Number three, here we go. Are you ready? Luke 22, verse 32. Now this, I love this one. Luke 22, verse 32. It has to do with Peter. And it has to do with Peter and and making some... uh, uh, Some mistakes in his life. Verse 32, let me show it to you. Uh, Jesus said this. Oh, let me look at verse 31. And the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Jesus said, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Everyone say strengthen. There's that word. There's that fixed word. There's that sterizo word that kind of looks like sterilized, but it it doesn't mean that. That sterizo word, that means fixed. He says, after you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Now, how many remember the life of Peter? What happened? He said, well, he just thought he he had everything together. And Jesus had warned him, you know, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not. And and so Jesus kind of warns him, you know, Simon... Satan has asked for you that it may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And catch this, after you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Now, how many of you know Jesus knew what Peter's problem was going to be? That he was going to deny the Lord. In fact, he prophesied it. He said, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. Rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I'll never do that. Oh, yes, he did. And what did he do? After that, he went out and did what? He wept bitterly. In fact, that word bitterly, I don't know if you've ever had the groans and the bitter weepings. I have had it a few times in my life, not many. But this this is guttural repentance. And Jesus says this, and he uses, this this is amazing to me. Peter knew he was, uh, pardon me, Jesus knew Peter was going to blow it. And he tells him, after you blew it, after you blow it, and you come back to me, fix, establish, strengthen the brethren. Now, I love this lesson because this is one we can all embrace. And here it is. A lesson we can use Failure is not final. And let me add a little to it, unless we choose for it to be. 
Failure is not final. And let me tell you, in, in our life of, of endeavoring to get our heart fixed and get our heart right, listen, we may, be, we may have a little of, of all of this in us where we blow it from time to time, but understand something. You know what Jesus was telling him? Hey, I know you're going to blow it, but let me tell you something. Failure is not final. And when you get it straight, you do your job and, and, and fix, establish the brethren. That's the purpose of God for your life. I've met a lot of people who made mistakes and they think, well, because I made this mistakes, God can never use me. And so therefore, who cares? That is so not right. Somebody say amen. Failure is not final unless you choose to allow it to be in your life. And so when we make mistakes... We have a choice. What are we going to do with those mistakes? And man, if I had time, I'd tell this story all the time. I love the story of Peter because when he got back in contact with the resurrected Christ and he saw him on the bank, the resurrected Christ, cooking them a meal, he jumped out of his boat and swam straight to Jesus. And I'm sure this verse was kind of bubbling up around in his life. Maybe he told the truth. Maybe if I get it straight here, I can get back on track and strengthen the brethren. Everybody say failure is not final. What a lesson. And so in the process of us getting fixed in him, hey, listen, God's hey, failure is not final. Just because we blow it doesn't mean God doesn't want us to get back on track and get our heart and the purpose of God fixed in our life. Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Take a right. Acts, Romans chapter 1. I love this verse. Paul the apostle talking to the Roman church. He said, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Everyone say established. There's the word. Everyone say established. There's the word. Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be fixed, stable, steady, established, resolutely on course in your life. What's the lesson we can learn from this use of that word? Embrace the influence of spiritual leadership. They have your best interest at heart. In other words... The influence of spiritual friends, family, pastors, teachers, elders, Sunday school teachers, embrace their influence. Listen, the worst thing you can do in the process of getting fixed in him is not be connected and linked up and, and, and involved with the ministry of spiritual influence in your life. Pastors, teachers, so on and so forth. In fact, remember Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, the five-fold ministry. It says the five-fold ministry, the apostle, prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist. What's their job? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so the lesson we learn from this usage, hey, if we're going to get fixed in him, we need other people to help us. You can't get fixed on your own. Look, that's pretty good. Look at your neighbor and say, you need help. Okay, you need help. You can't get fixed on your own. You need help. 
You can't get fixed in Christ. That's what the church is all about. That's what we're doing here tonight. I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but hey, there are people God places in our life, pastors, teachers, you know, uh, uh, moms and dads who are spiritual leaders and investors in our life, and, and they have your best interest at heart. Don't snub your nose at them. Don't go, ah, I don't need that. I've learned it all now. Hey, embrace that, the reality. This young man I talked to uh, yesterday, yeah, I believe it was yesterday, I spent an hour or so with him. You you know, I said, let me just tell you something. For Pastor Ron to take special time with just you and invest his life in you, you understand something. Don't ever take that for granted. He undoubtedly saw something in you. And, and so, hey, embrace his influence on every hand. And I knew he was. I was just kind of, uh, because, man, he, you know, I wasn't telling him much, but he was looking at me like I was pouring out liquid gold to him. I'm, I'm going, I, I love this guy. I wish I could multiply him. You know, I'm just talking off the top of my head. He's going, like, oh, give me more. Give me more. I feed me, oh, man of God. And I'm going, wow, shazam. So what do we learn? Embrace the influence of others. They have our best interest at heart most of the time, I would say. In fact, gosh, there's another, a couple other uses of this same word, this same thought. First Thessalonians 3, 2, you don't need to turn there. Uh, Paul basically tells the Thessalon- Thessalonians, uh, he says this. He said, I'm sending Timothy to establish you. I'm sending Timothy to fix you in Christ, to set you on course. And so it's just a confirmation of this, this little lesson that I just shared with you. Now, number five, here we go. This is the next one. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 16 and 17. Turn there. Don't just, uh, don't just trust me now. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians, pardon me, 2 Thessalonians 2. Take a right, take a right. Verse 16 and 17. Here's what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself And our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope, comfort your heart and establish you, there's the word, establish you in every, what does it say? Good word and work. Establish you in every good word and work. The word established is fix you. May the God of all comfort, who comforts our heart, may he establish you. There's the word. Strengthen you. Set you. Same word. Sterizo. In word, and here's the lesson. What do we learn from this? That if we want to be fixed, we need to be strong and established in the word. Now, this word here, when it says that every good word, that's the logos. For us, that's the written word of God. Strong in word, but not just strong in word, but strong in deed. How many of you know you need both? In fact, there's a lot in scripture that talks about this kind of concept. A lot of people get a lot of head knowledge when it comes to the word of God, but they're not walking it out. They're not applying it in their life. In fact, what did James say about faith without works? It's what? Faith without works is what? Come on, say it out loud. 
It's dead. In other words, you, you know, just because you study the Bible and get all the answers to the questions right and, you, and, and you're a good student of the Word, listen, uh, uh, here's, here's the design of God for my life. It's not just to get strong and fixed and established in the Word, but I'm going to be a doer of the Word. I'm going I'm to work it out. I'm going to be strong in Word and in works. In fact, when the reality is if you get fixed in the Word, it will naturally, by way of your desire to be obedient to the Word, lead you to the application of the Word or the work of the ministry that God has for you because that's what He created you to do in the first place. Paul the Apostle told the Ephesians, you're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good what? Works which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So the lesson from this is, hey, you know what? I'm going to get strong and fixed and established and settled in the Word of God, which, how many of you know Jesus is the Word, and in the work of God? Oh, that's a good two, two the Word, of, everyone say the Word of God. Come on, say it out loud, the Word of God and the work of God. Oh, that's the plan of God for your life. He created you not just to be a walking Bible, but to be a walking, living epistle of the Bible. Living it out, working it out, applying it in your life, ministering it to those around you. That's the lesson we can learn from that application of the word fixed. Now, number six. Are you ready? You need some more? Can you handle it? Number six, 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, just right below it. It says, but the Lord is faithful. Everyone say, the Lord is faithful. Now, I love this. The Lord is faithful who will what? Establish you and keep you from evil. Same word, sterizo. I wish I knew if I was pronouncing it right, but uh, maybe I am. The same word, it says, the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from the evil one or from evil. So really, there's a two-pronged fault here. Number one, hey, God will faith. He loves you enough. He's faithful. It's just the issue of our faithfulness and heart issue to him. And he will establish us and keep us from evil if we yield ourselves to him. So what's the lesson? Everyone say, what's the lesson, pastor? Well, come on, what's the lesson, pastor? Help me, pastor. What's the lesson? Here it is. Hey, stability has a protective quality. When you get stable, when you let the Lord begin to establish you. When you begin to let the Lord and you begin to appropriate God's word and you say, I'm getting fixed. I'm going to be in Christ and he's going to be in me. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm all in. I've got that. My heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. Guess what that stability in your life begins to do? It begins to raise a hedge of protection around your life. Look what he says. He's going to establish you and guard you from the evil one. Amen? So that stability, that being fixed in Christ, being positioned, and catch this, Ephesians says to seated with Christ in heavenly places. How many of you know that's a protective hedge in your life? You know why most people, well, let me just say, you know why all people get beat up by the devil? They're out of position. Because when you're in him, 
and you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, listen, you are in the middle of victory. But when we get out of position and we get out from under the protective hedge of God in our life, we are target practice for the devil. Are you with me? Okay. So, great, great lesson to learn about being fixed in him. Number seven, here we go. James chapter five. This is a good one too. Turn there. James chapter five. I went past it. Hebrews, James. James chapter five. Verse 8 says this. You also be what? Patient. And here's the word. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. James says you got to be patient. In fact, Gosh, verse 7, it, it gets the, uh, that context even greater. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, seeing how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the earthly and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, you know, you say, well, the coming of the Lord is at hand. When did James write that? Oh, 2000, how long ago has that been? Yeah, I guess he, how many of you know, uh, uh, if we try to be the clock of God, we're going to be in serious trouble because a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And, but here's, what, here's the lesson you and I need to understand from this when James says, be patient. Listen, uh, the farmer's patient with the seed he sows. Uh, you've got to be patient in, your, in the process of God for your life. And so here it is, being fixed is a process. Be patient. Be enduring. Don't quit. Don't get distracted. Don't get frustrated. It's a process. Amen? You don't wake up one day and it's all fixed. Because being in Christ, becoming more like him, where all things are passed away, behold, all things become new. Listen, ultimately, that won't happen until we get to eternity. It's the process of being sanctified, becoming just like Christ. You'll never be just like him until you see him just as he is. But it's a process, so we've got to be patient. Look at your neighbor and say, we've got to be patient. We've got to be persistent. We've got to be patient. That's the lesson in verse 7. Here we go. I'll move quickly. Number 8, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, Now may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, oh, I don't like this, after you've suffered a while, he'll perfect, establish, there's the word fix, uh, strengthen and settle you. After you've suffered a while, and, and here's what he says, may, may the God of all grace, Make you perfect. That is not, well, ultimately we'll be perfect when we see him as he is. But, hey, he'll perfect us. May make us more like him and establish us and fix us, strengthen us and settle us. What's the lesson? Here's the lesson I'll give you today for this one. God's saving grace is also stabilizing grace. How many of you have experienced his saving grace? 
his unmerited favor in your life. Whoo, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but he just graced you. He loved you. And by, by, because of your faith in him, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's just his unmerited favor. He loved me. Even when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, he saved me. He loves me and he, he, he birthed me and adopted me into the family of God. And I'm accepted among the beloved. Oh, saving grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That same grace is also available for us in this process of becoming in Christ and being fixed in him. He will favor you. Embrace the grace. Look at your neighbor and say, embrace the grace. Amen. Embrace the grace. You know, when, when, when you can't make it another day, he graces you and favors you. And, and, and I love this. The, you know, the Bible's so real. After you have suffered a while. Oh, I didn't think we're supposed to suffer. Well, the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer a little bit. How many of you know that produces an opportunity for the grace of God to be made manifest in our life? Amen. You know what suffering ought to do for us? Instead of bubbling up the worst in us, it ought to bubble up the best in us. For God's grace and mercy takes place in our life. When trouble comes, here comes his grace. When temptation comes, here comes his grace. So, hey, God's saving grace is also a stabilizing grace in your life to help you through those times. Number nine, here we go. Second uh, Peter chapter one, verse two. Take another right. Second Peter chapter one, verse two. I read all of this, uh, uh, verse 12 actually. I read this to you recently. I can't remember the total context, but he's talking about adding to your faith virtue and, and being involved in the spiritual progress of God in your life that you've got to add these virtues into your life uh, uh, and, and cooperate with, with God's word and cooperate with the plan of God by being proactive in your spiritual growth is basically the context. Uh, but look in verse 12. He says this, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established. There's the word. Fixed in this present truth. Paul said, pardon me, Peter says, I know you know these things that I just told you. I know that you're fixed in them. Now you would think Paul the apostle, pardon me, I keep trying to turn Peter into Paul. You would think Peter would say, okay, you got this. We'll move on to something else. You got these truths that I told you. You got to add this to you. He said, for this reason... I'm not going to neglect to remind you always. Everyone say, remind you always. Now, wouldn't that just irritate you just a little bit? Think about it. Now, Trent, I don't, this may become more apparent in your life, but there are certain things as a husband you got to get down. And this, and this may not be the case with, with you, but it is with me. It doesn't matter how close my wife is to the trash can and the big trash bucket out in the garage. Can you carry out the trash? I'm thinking, I'm in the other end of the house. She's right there looking at it. There's certain things that we get down. Okay, I've got it down. It doesn't matter. 
It's my job. I know I'm supposed to carry out the trash. I got it. All the women said, and I got it. Okay, I got it. But wouldn't it irritate you just a little bit if your wife came along and said, are you going to carry out the trash? And you go, but wait, I'm established in this present truth. I got it. You don't have to tell me anymore. I got it. In fact, I've said these things before in different kinds. You don't have to remind me of that ever again. I got that one. I got it. I'll be a good boy. I got it. I got it. Here comes Peter to this church. He says, now, and he goes through this long, you know, from verse 1 through verse 11 about all the things that they need to add in their life. And then he says, oh, I know you know this. I'm going to keep reminding you of it, though. Even though you are in actuality fixed in this issue, you got it. But I'm just going to keep reminding you, even though you're established in this present truth. With that in mind, what would be the lesson we would learn? And here it is. Review is vital. You could say reminder is vital. Just keep it alive. Even though you got it, Don't ever assume you got it. I'm just going to keep hammering it and hammering it in my life that I've got to be in him every day of my life. I've got to seek him every day of my life. Jay Threadgill told me before he ever gets out of the bed in the morning, he wakes up and he goes, good morning, Lord. I'm here to serve you today. I want to do what you want me to do. I've got an old military friend who pastors a church in Montgomery, Alabama. He's an old Vietnam vet. I've actually seen this. He wakes up every morning and does this to the Lord. Eddie Mitchell reporting for duty, sir. I'm here to say, I'm going, Eddie, come on. No, but that's, it's, he's military in his head. What he's doing every day, he's committing to the cause. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he gives the Lord a big salute. Uh, and uh, I think it's kind of corny but then hey what's he doing every day he's fixed and established and reaffirming his commitment and connection so review and reminder is vital hey you know I've been here can you believe that let's see the first Sunday of June I think was my 15 or 16 years being here And, you know, I've preached the same thing over and over again in different fashion for 16 years. It's just the Word of God. There's no real new revelation. You have to get creative new ways. And and many of you have been around long enough to hear some of my messages and thoughts two or three or four or five times. But, hey, hey, review is vital. Never assume you got it, even though you got it. I know you got it, but I'm going to keep telling you just so you'll never lose it. You got it? Amen. Number 10, and we'll close. This comes from Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. The letter to the churches. Jesus is writing a letter to the churches. Chapter 3, he's writing to the church in Sardis. And he says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. <laughs> Wouldn't you, I'd hate to get a letter from God like that. I, I know your name says you're alive, but let me just tell you, you're dead. He said, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. There's that word. 
Fix the things that remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, this is a big warning to this church. He's telling them they are in serious spiritual trouble. He's telling them that, hey, I know you think you're all right, but listen, you're just, you're just dead spiritually. You need help. And he said, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Now, this be watchful means stay spiritually alert. Don't fall asleep. And this is the lesson. Don't fall asleep. Spiritually, that's when the destroyer makes his move in your life. And for this church, really what he's telling them, you better wake up. And what you better do is wake up and begin to find what's still got a glimmer of light. There's a, if, if there's a little something in your spiritual life that, that is still alive, a little ember, a little, a little coal of, 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 of hope in your life, you better strengthen that area. You better start working on that area. <coughs> In fact, the Bible says a smoking flax he'll not snuff out, meaning uh, if the flame of God is, is about to go out in your life, God's not going to come and go, eh, you're just about to die, I'll just go ahead and snuff you out. Uh, Paul said to, the, to Timothy, stir up the gift of God with, which is in you, which means fan into flame the gift of God. Really what he's saying, you better find something in your life that hadn't spiritually just totally died, and you better get that thing working in your life. Get it fixed. Start working on these areas. They're about to die in you. So the lesson is from this last one, don't fall asleep. Don't become spiritually lethargic. That's when the devil comes in. He comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. There you go. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, fixed in him. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You see, if we get fixed, we'll get fixed. The areas of our life that we struggle with, we fix ourselves on him, he'll take care of the rest. You got it? You got it? Good. Let's stand up together.